Well, it's, uh, it's a privilege and a joy to be with you. Um, I'd like to uh, start by reading uh, John, chapter 1, and some verses from the beginning of the Gospel of John. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, And cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. I'll stop there. Um, Perhaps just a few things by way of introduction. Uh, The Gospel of John was the first gospel, the first book of the Bible that I uh, began to study in a serious way when I was 17. And uh, uh, that was the first time I I grappled with a book and and started to get into it and wrestle with its background. And and, um, I never had the courage to preach on this gospel um, until about 41 years later. I, I loved it from the age of 17, but I, I just did not have the guts to 
it's such a, at one level, it's such a simple gospel, uh, and yet in that simplicity there's tremendous depth. And uh, so I, I waited until only a few years ago before I dared to, um, to preach from it. And, and even now I feel there are things in it that I'm still uh, striving to understand. There's so much there. Um, I don't know if, if, you've ever, if, if, if it's ever struck you um, how distinctive the Gospel of John is. Um, let me provoke you. Um, do you know that there's almost no teaching in this Gospel? Almost. There's almost no teaching, strictly speaking. There are no parables. There's no Sermon on the Mount. There's um, no eschatological discourse. There's so much not in it. There's no Lord's Supper. There's no account of the Ascension. There's a lot that's not in this uh, gospel. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about the, the man that the Lord chose to, to write it. Uh, we, we believe that John was uh, very old uh, when he was writing. And uh, he was a remarkable uh, apostle. He outlived all the others. And he was renowned uh, as the apostle of love. That was uh, the early church recognized the love of Christ in him. Uh, and yet, um, you, you can see as you read the gospel, you can see how the Lord Jesus prepared him in that way. Um, he was perhaps closer to Christ than any, any of the other disciples. He's known as the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, he was the one who um, leaned on his breast at the supper. He was the one who went into the judgment hall and followed in and then brought Simon Peter. And as far as we know, he was the only one who was left standing by the cross. He was the one that uh, the Lord entrusted his mother to. This is your son, this is your mother. Um, and so John, I, th I think in one sense, John was prepared uh, by that closeness uh, to Christ for the one piece of teaching that is in the gospel, and that's the new commandment. We should love one another. Um, but, you know, John, as close as he was to Christ, yet if you look at the book of Revelation, uh, even John made the mistake uh, in his old age of falling down and worshipping the angel. And twice at the end of Revelation, he's rebuked. Uh, Don't do that, says the angel. I'm just one of your fellow servants. Worship God. <coughs> and um, <coughs> we, we need to think about the, the man who uh, was used to pen the gospel. And uh, you, you'll see, if you think about it, you'll see how what I've just said to you about John is very relevant because uh, this one who um, in his old age made the mistake of worshipping the angel, this is the one in the gospel that he writes for us has a very distinct aim. And uh, you know what his aim is. If you turn to the end of the gospel, well, I'll read it to you. In uh, chapter 20 and verse 31, John tells us his aim. He says, these things are written, these things are written, that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of God. And so John is saying, I'm I'm writing these things so that you may know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and the Son of God. And in one sense, he's he's, he's almost correcting himself. Uh, I want you to know that this one is God the Son who walked among you. So we know his his aim. His aim is to present to us uh, Jesus Christ. And he says that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so he wants us to, to know Christ, to believe in him, that we may have life in his name. Now that is, uh, an, that is an evangelistic motive. And you might think that he is writing for the sake mainly of unbelievers. You know, I'm telling you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that you might believe and have life in his name. But actually... If you look more carefully at the gospel, you can see that it is written also for believers. He's written for those who already believe. And he wants us to be confirmed in our faith and to really understand our faith. So John is not just writing, as it were, for the unsaved, unchurched world. He's writing for the church and for the believer. And he's saying to us, I really want you to be um, solid in your faith and to understand Jesus Christ. So this, this morning, I want to concentrate on the first couple of verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And um, I want to look at the way that John uh, shows us Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. It's <laughs> very welcome. Now, it's worth, it's worth just standing back for a minute and saying, where does each of the Gospels begin? Each of the Gospels begin at a different point. So, where do they begin? Well, Mark begins with John the Baptist as an adult. And uh, all of a sudden, Mark opens his Gospel, and John is preaching repentance and, and preparing the way for Christ. So, Uh, Mark starts about then. Uh, Matthew uh, begins with the birth narratives, tracing back to Abraham. He begins with the birth of Jesus. Luke begins with the parents of John the Baptist and the conception of John. But John's gospel uh, begins before the foundation of the world. So John's starting point When he says, I want you to understand uh, more about Jesus Christ, who he is, his starting point is before the foundation of the world. He says, in the beginning. And you say, well, what beginning is that? Well, it's in the beginning. All things were made through him. So he's taking us back to the time before any of this existed. The universe did not exist. And John is, is really saying to us, let us consider Uh, Jesus Christ from that standpoint first of all Uh, let's go back before anything else was made and we'll look at him and so he says in chapter 1 notice what he says uh, chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 he says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he says 
The same one, he was in the beginning with God. Now, most of us, when we go to those verses, we, we think about proving that Jesus was the Son of God, or God the Son. You see, it says there, and, and when, if ever we meet Jehovah's Witnesses at the doorstep, that's one of the verses we go to. You see, it says there, and the word was God. And that's what we home in on. But um, the, there's, a, there's another phrase in this, these two verses which is repeated twice. And it's, it's that that we're meant to notice. Okay, it says, look, in the beginning was the word, and look, and the word was with God. The word was with God. And John repeats it in verse 2. He says, he was in the beginning with God. And I want to home in on that little expression that the Word, uh, the Son of God, before he became flesh, the Word was with God. Okay, you can see he says that twice. Now then, um, in Greek, John had five or six ways of saying that. There were lots of possibilities. He could have put that in all sorts of ways, but he chose... A little word, the little word with, this word with in Greek, uh, expresses movement. Okay? Uh, the word he's used is the word pros. Sorry to, I, I don't usually like to use Greek, but it's the word pros. And pros, prostheon, with God, that word essentially means movement towards. Now in our minds, uh, that means that there's an object here, there, there's one thing. And there's the other. And pros is, this is moving towards this. It's as if John says that the word was towards God or moving towards God. And uh, that doesn't make much sense to us theologically, does it? How could the word be moving towards God? But what, um, uh, what John, I think, is, is doing is he's using a physical term to try to express a profound, divine, and spiritual mystery. Okay, So he's using um, John of Chrysostom in the early church. He, he speaks about John's language as being, well, perhaps crude, physical. He's, he's using almost like picture language to describe a great mystery. And uh, he, he, John does not mean that once the Son of God was apart from the Father... That's not what he means. And he moved towards him. What he means, I think, is that there was a constant facing of the Son to the Father. So what John is trying to build a picture in your minds of the Son of God um, eternally facing the Father. It's a, it is a physical picture of, a, say, a father and a son looking at each other. And not just looking at each other, but being drawn towards each other. He wants you to think like this, that before anything else existed, the Son of God, as it were, was gazing into the Father's face, using physical language, and was drawn to him. Okay? He was with the Father. And uh, we have to ask the question, well, what, what is the spiritual truth? What is the mystery that this language is expressing? And what, what I think he wants us to understand is that from eternity, the Son of God had a, 
an intimate, a perfect, a full knowledge of the Father. He knew the Father perfectly. And not only that, but the knowledge that the Son had of his Father was constantly drawing him to the Father in love. And so we we have to think about this. This is how John begins. He says, do you want to understand Jesus Christ, your Saviour, your Lord? You have to go back to the beginning. And you have to understand that he was, uh, as it were, constantly fixed on the Father. And he knew him uniquely and perfectly. And he was drawn to him constantly in love. Now, when we go to John's other writings, his first letter, he says, God is love. God is love. And and you ask that question, what does that mean, God is love? Well, essentially, that statement can be made because of the Trinity. And the three persons of the Trinity, as it were, have eternally existed in a a perfect loving relationship, a a unity. I mean, we, we, we struggle to express these things, but God is love within himself within the three persons of his one Godhead. And and this is what John is trying to capture. He says, in the beginning, he was with God. He was towards God. He was knowing him, loving him, drawn to him, perfect. And and then uh, as John begins to unfold his gospel, he uses other phrases to reinforce this point. I don't know if you noticed um, in verse 18, in John chapter 1 verse 18, we have this phrase. No one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. And you notice that phrase, he is is in the bosom of the Father. And uh, again, We're talking about physical language. In the early church, the Greek-speaking fathers, this little phrase, in the bosom of the Father, it meant something like either sitting on his lap or even in his womb. I know we can't talk like that, but but right inside the, the embrace of God. And John, again, is using physical language to try to tell us, do you, we can hardly conceive of the kind of relationship, the closeness of the Father and the Son. Now, I, I, won't, uh, I, could, I could spend more time on this, but I, first of all, I want you to notice these things that John says about the Son. Just notice those two things. There is more here than I've told you. But just notice in verse 1, He was with God. Verse 2, in the beginning he was with God. He was to him, towards him, drawn to him. And then verse 18, this will do, verse 18. He is in the bosom of the Father. He is in the Father's closest embrace. If we had lots of time, I would read you a quote from John Chrysostom about this. Let me just read you a few words. He says... This is what John Chrysostom says in the early church. He says, Having said that no man has seen God at any time, John does not go on to say that the Son has seen him. Get that? 
Having said that no man has seen him at any time, John does not go on to say that the Son has seen him. No. He adds something beyond seeing by the words, who is in the bosom of the Father. Because to dwell in the bosom of the Father is far more than to see. You see what he's saying? He said, John is trying to tell you that it's much more than that the Son saw the Father. He dwelt in the bosom of the Father. For he that merely sees has not in every way exact knowledge of the object. But he that dwells in the bosom can be ignorant of nothing. Now John goes on and says much more about that. What John is saying is this. When John John of Chrysostom is saying about John's gospel, what he's saying is that when John, the evangelist, speaks about him dwelling in the bosom of the Father, what he's saying is it's much more than he sees him. He is intimately united in a perfect communion. And we can go on theologically about that. We're talking about something profound. Now then, why is that important? Why is that important to John? It's important to John because he then presents Christ in his ministry. And in his ministry, Christ says to the Jews, often he says to to them, he says, I, Jesus, know him, the Father. If you, uh, I'll read you chapter 7. And verses 26 and 20 to 28. Listen, he says, no, it's 28 onwards, he says, And Jesus, as he taught, cried out in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, But he who sent me is true. He who sent me is true. Whom you do not know. Listen. But I know him. See, Jesus is speaking to the Jews. He's saying, you don't know him, but I do. And you get this emphasis throughout the ministry of Christ as recorded in the Gospel of John. He's saying to the Jews, I know the Father, the one that you don't know. I know God. So this is what uh, John wants us to grasp, first of all, about Jesus. Now, one of the consequences, one of the consequences of this view of Christ is that Jesus Christ alone is able to make the Father known. Okay? Because he knows him in in that way, he alone is able to make the Father known. In other words, Jesus Christ was able to make the Father known in a way that no angel could ever make him known. No angel could make this claim that I, have, uh, I am in the bosom of the Father. That is not for the angels. That is for the Son. And he alone can make the Father known. In John chapter 1 verse 18, we have this word. And uh, he has declared him. And some of you probably know that in the Greek, he has exegeted him. It's he has made him plain to us. In other places in scripture, uh, it talks about the son being the image of the father. 
and so on. But here, this is how John puts it. He is in the bosom of the Father, and now then, he has made him known. Now if we go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, we have the strangest beginning ever. And because we know it so well, it doesn't seem strange to us. In the beginning was who? The Word. Why? Why does John call him the Word? I mean, none of the other Gospels do that. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Lord, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Why the Word? And what John is already doing, some people say, oh, he's called the word because John was living in Ephesus and he was relating to the Greek philosophers. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. He wasn't listening, he wasn't relating to the Greek philosophers. That wasn't his concern. His concern was to use a, a name for Christ that tells you that he is, as it were, the expression of the Father. You, you do get it in Psalm 33. Uh, verses 5 and 6, don't you? That by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And it was the Son in creation who was the speaker, so to speak. The speaker that called these things into existence. This is the way God in Trinity works. That the Son comes from the Father to speak, uh, as it were, for the Father. Calling things into existence. Making the Father known. And this is the character of Jesus Christ. He is the word of the Father. Now when we read about Christ's ministry in John, right, everything that he says and does comes from the Father. Everything. He says to them, chapter 7, verse 16, he says, My doctrine is not mine. My teaching is not mine. But his who sent me. So in other words, Christ repeatedly says, when I speak to you, the words I speak, they're not my own words. I'm speaking to you the words of the Father. And then he speaks about the works that he does. Listen to this. He says, Most assuredly, this is chapter 5, verse 19, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he, sees the, what he sees the Father do, whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. So it's not just the words that he speaks, but the actions that he does, the works that he does. He does the works of the Father. And you, you probably know so well what he says later on to the disciples. Philip said to him, oh, Philip, why did you say this? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. What did Jesus answer? Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not known me? Listen, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? After all that time, just before the cross, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. He says, Philip, 
I've been with you all these years. Haven't you seen? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Listen, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And the words that I speak to you, they are not my own. But they are the Father's who dwells uh, who dwells in me. He does the works. It's everything, you see. All I'm trying to establish this, this morning is this. Uh, you will never understand the Gospel of John until you grasp the fact that uh, our Lord Jesus, his first thought and his last thought were always about the Father. Right? We tend Often we tend to think of Jesus coming for us, which is true, of course. But if you want to get into the mind of Christ, his eyes were constantly on the Father. He says this to them. I will no no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But, he says, "But but that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gave me commandment to do, so I do. Arise, let us go hence. That the world may know that I love the Father. And that's at the end of chapter 14. And then he begins in chapter 15. He says, listen, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. And he says, and my Father is the farmer. My father is the farmer. And when Jesus speaks like that, what is he saying? He's saying, do you know something? My father has planted me in this world. And do you know why he has planted me in this world? Because he wants me to bear fruit, true fruit, for him. And all the time, the relationship, the structural relationship in the life of Christ was his relationship to the Father. He knew that he had, as it were, been sent into the world, chiefly that he may bring honour and glory to the Father, to bear fruit for him. And at the end of it all, the Lord Jesus Christ will bring, gather his church together and present us to the Father, won't he? That's what he's going to do. He's going to gather all his children together and present us to the Father. And and really, I want to just uh, begin to consider the Gospel of John with you uh, in this uh, this way of thinking. Um, Right throughout the Gospel of John, the Son of God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Son of God, his mind was set upon God the Father. And everything that he said, everything that he did, and everything that he was, was in order to make the Father known to us, And his aim in doing that was to bring a harvest of life back to the Father. It is all along that trajectory. Is that okay? That's what dominates. Now, how much time... How are we doing for time? Ten? Five, ten. Okay. Um, As you read the Gospel of John, you will will see this everywhere uh, from chapter 1, verse 1. Now... We've been so far. We've been talking about uh, the Father and the Son. 
that is the crucial relationship there. Now, if we get time later, we will have to consider the Holy Spirit. Okay. But just, just, as we be, just as we come to this point, of course, the, the Holy Spirit is also involved in this relationship. And, and John, I will digress, often John uses language that we misunderstand. Um, we do misunderstand it. Do you know in chapter 17, his prayer? How many people have, I have, how many people have prayed this prayer? Lord, sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Have you prayed that? Have I prayed that. Sanctify us through the truth. But do you know that John, the Lord Jesus there is not talking about sanctification? That's not what he's talking about. Anyway, I'm just throwing out these. You can, maybe we can have a time to discuss that at, at later on. John's language is very specific. Now, when he comes to the Holy Spirit, you know what he calls him, don't you? He calls him, well, in Greek, it's the paraclete. The paraclete. And people who have translated the New Testament have struggled with the meaning of the word paraclete. And the authorised version, the old version, was, you know, the comforter. Thinking about the way the Holy Spirit is a comforter. More recent translations have gone for things like the counsellor. Or the helper. And, and those three terms, think about the Holy Spirit as he works in us. Comforting, counselling and helping us. But John is not thinking about that at all. When he calls in the paraclete, in my opinion, the best rendering of that is the word advocate. Because what uh, John is saying is, and do you know that the Holy Spirit has come as the advocate of the Son. So here it is. The Father has sent the Son and he is the advocate of the Father. And now the Son and the Father have sent the Holy Spirit and he is the advocate of the Son. And so we have this Trinitarian um, focus. You see what's, see what's going on? And, and this is really at the heart of uh, John's Gospel. And so I think perhaps I've, I've probably said enough to begin with. Um, the beloved disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, he wants us to know Jesus Christ in this way. In this way. Because he, he, he is going to say to us, um, I want you to know that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And the same thing, the same thing comes out in our Lord's prayer before the cross. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit, by the way. We'll talk about that later. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Okay. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so right at the heart of John's gospel, he wants us to understand Christ because he is our life, our everlasting life. There is life for us in Christ. And and the life that Christ gives us is a life that brings us into communion with the Father. Now there's much else, and obviously much, much, much more there. But but that's that's how I'd like to begin looking at the Gospel of John. And and God willing, this evening um, uh, we look for a brief while at the the marriage of uh, in Cana of Galilee and uh, what that means in the Gospel of John. So that's. That's probably sufficient for now. I've thrown in some uh, taunting, perhaps. Uh, And I'm quite happy for you to shoot me down and correct me. I'm I'm quite happy to discuss uh, why I've sent some provocative things in there about sanctification and some other stuff. But that is the the essence of John's um, thinking. Do we want to understand Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour? Yes, we do. But we never understand him unless we see how he was fixed upon the Father. And he came, as it were, to make the Father known. And uh, in in knowing him... um, That's one thing. Do you know what John of Chrysostom says about... Uh, Jesus, his knowledge of the Father was far more than seeing him. And, and in one sense, that's, he wants to impart to us the Father at that level. It's as if he's saying, it's not that you know about him. You must know him. You must know God. Well, I'll stop there for...